0: 30 days to becoming your own best publicist on any budget, even if you're an introvert. Find me at lameredith.com and get enrolled. Welcome back to Persistence You with Lisbeth. Today I am so pleased to have author Christine Handy with me. Before she was an author, she was many other wonderful things, such as a mother, she still is, a model, a very successful model. But life happens, as it does to all of us, and Christine found herself in the throes of of cancer, and she had a couple of choices to make. One would be to give up, and one would be to persist. And what she's done since the time, even though cancer has been a huge struggle, is pretty inspiring. So thank you so much, Christine, for being with me today. Please tell us a bit about yourself and your story.
1: Well, You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Uh, My story is long and filled with lots of crazy pain, but also purpose. And I started modeling at a very young age, and I really truly believe that my identity in this world was what I looked like, and and that permeated in my life in in all respects within my friendships, within my um, obviously my career, and within my family and. And so ultimately when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was facing losing my identity or the external part of me, that was the only thing that I knew about myself. Um, then I was really, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but devastated is comes to mind um, <laughs> that, but I was going to lose everything that I thought was important in my life. And once I was, once I started to go on through chemotherapy and and my days during cancer, which was a lot, I went through 28 rounds of chemotherapy. I mean, and that's 15 months of chemotherapy. Um, I, the longer I went on, the more that I wanted to fight for my life. But in the beginning, I thought I had no value. And it's not so inherent just because of the modeling career. It was my self-esteem that had just gotten, had gotten kind of whacked at different points of my life. And I wasn't working on my self-esteem. I wasn't working on who I was inside. I was just kind of dismissing that. And so, you know, when you're faced with a life-changing or a life-ending illness, which it could have been both, um, you have to really make some des- decisions about what you're going to do during that time and also moving forward. And I decided during that time when I ultimately started to fight for my life, I, I realized that people were watching. And I realized that that was an opportunity to show courage under this massive fire. And so when I started to show that courage, people started to pay attention about, and they started to notice how I was reacting to this trauma, reacting to the pain. I was 41 years old. I had two young kids at home. And so how I was reacting to that was teaching other people. And so after I completed my chemotherapy, I decided, well, if I can serve during that type of illness and that type of painful situation then there must be purpose in all of this pain. And I ultimately decided that that was what I was going to do moving forward was serve and be a leader and 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 show people how do you really get through this type of illness or any illness, any trauma. Right. That is so
0: inspiring and fantastic. You've done a lot with it. I know you serve on some boards, on some charities and do a lot of mentoring. So can you tell us about that? When did that begin?
1: So I wrote my book in 2016, and I think that's what started all of this. I It took me a few years to get well. I was diagnosed with cancer in 2012, and my chemotherapy was completed in 2013. And in 2015, I had my last mastectomy. So it was several, you know, it was a few years after I was diagnosed that ultimately I was well. And then I wrote my book in 2015 cool. and, and published it in 2016. And when I published it, I had no idea that I was gonna have a career, speaking career. I just wanted to publish my story because I thought it had a lot of lessons that people could take from it. And once I published my book, I was so used to being in front of the camera, right? For 25 years as a model. Right. And I and I and people asked and I was interviewed a fair amount in the beginning um, about my buying book. And ultimately I was hired by several speaking agencies to start speaking and sharing my story. Oh, that's terrific! And so, just one thing led to another that had that snowball effect, right? But that I could have had that same effect in a negative way if I had chosen a different path. Right. And you know, a lot of people that I see now, just because I'm a, a breast cancer active speaker and activist and and uniter and. And uh, I'm accessible to people. They tell me their stories and they want to talk about it. And a lot of people are very, very bitter. And I understand that. Um, but that's a choice that you make. And that choice has a lot of collateral effects, right? Their choice may have a different snowball effect than my choice. And, and, I, and I, although I respect both, I'm happy that I chose what I chose. Because really, when we storytell, even the good, the bad, and the ugly, we are shaping other people's existence because they might think they're completely alone in their pain or their trauma or in what they have had to go through. But when we're storytelling, either speaking or, or in writing, which I do both, then people will say to me, well, I didn't know that anybody else felt that way. I didn't know that anybody else carried that feeling or guilt or shame or disappointment and fear, whatever it is. Um, and so that gives light to somebody else's story.
0: I love that. You've also, like you said, you telling your story allows others to share theirs. Yes. And by you choosing not the path of bitterness, you've elevated yourself from victim to survivor. So you really are a cancer survivor. And I think a lot of times those terms get bandied about, but it's really an important distinction. You've yeah. made a decision in the midst of things you couldn't decide on, like getting cancer. That was not your choice. How you reacted to it, solidly your choice. right? And what a wonderful and refining thing that that has been for you. That's fantastic. Especially, com- I do think coming from a modeling, yes. the modeling world, Yes. To this, that's a huge difference. So do you have any fun stories about successes you've seen in like one of the charities? I've heard that you you were yes. part of a wig charity even.
1: Yeah. So I'm on the board of eBeauty, which is a wig exchange program. And it's in the United States. And we, um, we take in donations of wigs and then we, we redistribute those wigs. Um, we've, we've partnered with Paul Mitchell Salons, who takes those wigs and washes them for me in their schools. And we've also partnered with L'Oreal, who gives us grant money, because a lot of the money that we spend on getting those wigs out is in, is in mailing them. Sure. It's like $20 a wig. And that adds up. We've, we have distributed over 50,000 wigs.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: So um, yeah, so that board is really rewarding because I was able to buy several wigs when I was going through treatment. But how many women are out there can't afford a wig? And my kids, when I was going through treatment, they wanted me to look like their mom. They wanted me to have a blonde wig. They wanted me, you know, they didn't want to see my bald head. Some other kids react differently, but mine were very adamant about they wanted to see me look like me when I really didn't look very much like me. But as much as I could, I tried. And so this in our in our charity gives the women the ability to look like themselves. And it doesn't just help them. It helps other people that love them, too.
0: That is a great distinction to make. And what a what a terrific give because wigs are
1: expensive. They're so expensive. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We even have a 40% return rate. So once we've redistributed the wig, we even get 40% of those back. Oh. Give them back again and, and we redistribute them. And some of them can't be because some of them might have been used too much. But it's a great program. It's unbelievable. It's called e-beauty. Okay. Anybody ever knows anybody that needs a free wig, it's a free service. You go to ebeauty.com. It's our website and you you fill in these specifications of what color, what, um, style, what length, and, and we ship it off to you. It's fantastic. Oh, I love that. That
0: is a terrific way. It's just such an organic way to give. I mean, fantastic meets a very basic need. So you have mentioned before that the way you used to feel when you were a model, there was a lot of happiness there, but what has the cancer clarity given you?
1: Uh, I definitely feel joy now. Oh. and The difference between happiness and joy in my life has been going from being very self involved to, to serving other people. And I was, I was very happy in my life before I was diagnosed with cancer. And that period of two years where I was fighting cancer was very difficult but since then, the serving part, that's just brought me so much joy. I don't remember ever feeling this kind of joy prior to cancer.
0: That's beautiful. At joy and connection, which kind of are intertwined. Yes. But what a wonderful thing. I like also how you said that how you reacted to cancer, people were watching. Yes. And I have found when I've gone through my own hard times that sometimes if I were to just turtle it up in my shell and go it alone... I wouldn't have almost the pressure of other people's hope and expectations. Yeah. And that's a different form of accountability to keep you moving on your survivor's journey.
1: That's right. That's right. And you can do that. And, and a right. lot of times, and I, and I have done that. I've definitely turtled. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but when we turtle, we don't give other people the opportunity to serve us. Correct. And, and that takes that memory and that life giving gift that they want to give us from them. My friends, my friends taught me that early on in my cancer journey. I just said to them, I said, I quit. I'm not going to fight for my life. And they said, why would you steal that from us? We want want to be the hands and the feet of the Lord on earth for you right now. You're our Bible study. And if we can't serve God and we can't serve you, then you're stealing that from us. That's a great way to put it. It's true. You know, if if somebody, if I know somebody's turtling, I'll say to them, like, you're taking that from me. I want to help you. You know, so. Right. That is a terrific way to put it. I mean, we're all going
0: to need each other at some point in our lives, all of our lives, the uh, opportunity to give, the opportunity to receive. And I think it is a lot easier sometimes to be the giver than the receiver. So, what a great thing that you did by being courageous enough to be vulnerable.
1: Well, and uh, I think a lot of the problem with the block to receive is pride, right? Oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I don't want to take your time. I don't want to use your resources. And, and that's, that's a self-esteem issue. And my self-esteem was very, um, up at the time. And so I work on my self-esteem a lot. I look, li- I listen to the words that I speak about myself. I listen to the words that other people speak about me. I discern what music what I watch on TV, it's very important in my life who I'm listening to and what I'm listening to because I, you can find yourself going down that rabbit hole of listening to voices that aren't pushing you, they're pushing you down and not pushing you forward. And so even myself, I, I, I was playing tennis the other day and I hit a bad shot and I was like, how can you hit that bad shot? And I stopped myself and I, and I said to myself, you can't talk like that to yourself. But it's in those moments of self-correction that can really change your life. That's fantastic.
0: And I love that you noted, too, what you watch and what you listen to constantly, especially during a time where most of us are very isolated. If all we've got running are negative messages, yeah, then there's not a lot of hope in that. Right. Yet, if we make choices to see beyond that and do beyond that, then we're going to be much better off.
1: Yeah, I would suggest getting some podcasts on your podcast list and, and turn off the news. Yeah. We all know what's going on out there. We don't need to have it drilled into our head anymore. Right. Put something something that's motivating, inspiring, uplifting, like like this. Listen to these on a regular basis. I listen to a podcast every single day.
0: That's fantastic. And I am a big, you know, I love podcasts as well. It's such a terrific way to be focused, to learn, but also sometimes while you're doing other things with your life, you know, like folding laundry or... taking a walk or whatever we can do. So that's such good advice. I also know I can go down the rabbit hole. If there's a reality show, I'm ashamed to admit this, but if there's like a really trashy show that has caught my attention, the next thing, you know, I'll be binge watching it and there's nothing good that I take away from it. And I'll get more anxious. The next day I'll be like just more anxious and not feeling myself and thinking, I wonder why I'm like this today. And then thinking, Oh, because I've immersed myself in conflict and frankly, things that didn't need to happen and values that I don't align with at all.
1: And I've got and to that stop. That, right. And that, that comparison game that we tend sometimes do, I don't do it anymore. Right. It even happens in the pain in the cancer industry and, and the trauma, the people in the groups of trauma, people will co- compare their pain, compare their stories. And I always tell people, don't compare them. Everybody's pain looks different. It may not look like yours. It may be bigger than yours or less than yours, but pain is pain. And everybody's pain is valid and important. So don't dismiss somebody's pain because you think it wasn't big enough or small enough. Doesn't matter. That's comparing pain. You cannot do it.
0: Such a great bit of advice. That is so very true. Nothing worse than being minimized when you're feeling like whatever it is is going on in your life is huge. And then somebody yeah. shrugs their shoulder like, you think that's bad. Exactly. Let me tell you
1: this. Exactly that's a pride issue too, by the way. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. I don't think we mean to do it as humans, but it's a very easy tendency to fall into. I know I've done it myself.
1: But if you notice it, if you take those actions and you discern them, then you can shift them. It doesn't become the same tape you're playing in your head. You can right. stop it.
0: And that's a very good thing. Now tell us a little bit about your book writing and publishing journey. You wrote the book and then how did how'd you find a, you know, how did you do that? And, and What lessons have you learned since?
1: I did it in a really interesting way. Um, When I wrote my book, I did not want anybody to change a single line in my book. It was my story. I wanted to put it out there. I I interviewed many people in the industry, and I decided I'm going to self-publish. And so I ultimately did self-publish. And then about six weeks after it was published, a publisher approached me, third largest publisher in the country, Morgan James, and he, the, the CEO of the company called me and said, we'd like to republish your book under our umbrella. We think we can get it out to different countries and, and, and be more accessible because we love your book. And so they republished it under in their publishing house. And they did. They got it out into different countries. And um, I think it's... I, when I was in Germany, I, I saw my book over there.
0: That is so exciting.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I did it both ways, which sometimes people will ask me, they'll say, well, you know, did you self-publish or did you use a publisher? I was like, I did both. (laughs) But without realizing that that's how I was going to do that. And the only words that they changed when they took over my book and they published it were they took out the like really bad foul language words. Oh, And I I had a potty mouth. And, you know, when I was going through cancer, I said a few bad words and I wanted those in there. Right. (laughs) And they took them out and I was like, that's fine. That's not changing content. Go for it.
0: Oh, that is a good story. I like that because it's such a unique take on how you got your book out there. Right. Yeah. I yeah. think we, most of us think there are two ways, traditional or, I'll you publish. know, yeah. that's right. And frankly, there are a lot of different spaces in between. So good for you. That's very exciting. So where will we be able to find out? You and how to listen, maybe to some of the events that you've done, or sure. where can someone book you? Find out more about your book. Let us know the place to find Christine Handy.
1: Well, you can start there because if you Google Christine Handy, a lot of stuff comes up. Fortunately for me, there's no, there are, is no bad stuff on the internet about me. <laughs> um, but I I spend a fair amount of time um, on my website and Instagram. But I am on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and it's all Christine Handy. On Instagram is Christine Handy one My website is www.ChristineHandy.com. Wonderful. YouTube, Christine Handy. I'm kind of Clubhouse Christine Handy. I'm all over. I'm all over. Trying to feed people good advice, trying to serve people in every way that I can.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm really, really glad that you're doing that and that you found the difference between the happiness and the joy factor, which is in, in serving yes. and that your identity is not any longer about how you look or how your modeling career is going. So that is just terrific. Thank you. Right. So appreciative to have you here today. And I would have show notes. So people will go to my website to find the show notes and right. um, and we'll be looking forward to what you're doing next. And by the way, are you still writing something new?
1: I am. I wrote a second book about three years ago, but I haven't published it yet. Okay. Because I'm getting my master's degree right now at Harvard in creative writing and literature. And so I'm changing my book a little bit. And my my first book, Walk Beside Me, is also being made into a film called Willow the Feature Film. And so I was kind of waiting for the film to come out, although it's, yeah. although it's been pushed back because of the pandemic. Um, but I kind of thought, well, publish my second book when the when the film comes out. So the second book will be coming out probably within a year and the movie probably a year-ish. So I've got some big projects coming up. Very exciting. And, uh, you know, most importantly, I think they're projects that can really help people, help women in sp- specifically. Right. Well, fantastic. I can't wait to see what happens next.
0: And hopefully you'll come back as the second book is coming out. Okay? Yes. All I'd right. love to keep in touch. And thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnooga Network.